Hello everyone and welcome to Southwest London's Women's Rugby World Cup podcast. My name is Ben and today we are talking through the first round of fixtures and looking forward to next weekend's action. Uh, I'm joined today by Elise and James to chat through everything. Um, we'll start first with the England game, the heavy favourites uh, to win the whole tournament. They ran out 84-19 winners against the Fijiana in Pool C. Um, Elise, I'll ask you first, just some sort of overall thoughts on the game. What do you think went well for England? What do you think didn't go as well for England? I think that anyone that woke up a little bit late and tuned in maybe 20 minutes into the game probably would have been a little bit shocked as to the scoreline. The first half was definitely interesting. Um, a lot of nerves, a few drop balls. Um, and James, what, what do you think that... What, what do you think happened for England in the first first half? I think it was big occasion, players on debut, yeah, and Iphigenian squad that not many people knew much about, mm. and they played characteristically as a Fijian side would, with a lot of expansive hands and backs with a lot of flair, who were perhaps a bit of a shock to England's system, having dominated so much over the last few years. Yeah. So, so I think that it is true that even though we talk about a now 26-game winning streak, you know, unbeaten since 2019, they have got actually quite a lot of experience and a lot of silverware, but there were 19 debutants on the pitch, and even though England are performing outstandingly better than probably any rugby union team we've seen in recent years, they are still a lot of young girls. On that, on that squad, young women on the squad, I should say. Um, and so it is nerve-wracking. The first half perhaps didn't go as planned uh, for England. I mean, still led 14-24 uh, going into half-time, but uh, second half came out um, a far a far better performance, um, really ran away with the game. What, what, what do you think went well in the second half or what, what went better in the second half that didn't go maybe as well in the first half and, and, and who or, or what is the reasons for that, Elise? I think... England have had quite an easy couple of years in terms of the teams that they have faced and they've not really come up against a challenge that they've had to, where they've had to answer questions and they've had to figure out how they're going to win. You know, we talk about really France at the moment are the only team of the Six Nations that come anywhere near um, challenging them. And it's true that the way Fiji play... Um, in a similar, similar way to the men's, that you almost can't be too rigid. They're so used to just coming down off a driving mall, scoring. They're used to forcing those errors. When Fiji play, like I said, James, expansive rugby. Um, so I think in the second half, what happened was, and I, I, I listened to Emily Scarrett afterwards, she was asked in, the, in a media interview, um, did you get a bit of a hammering from Simon Middleton? And I'm sure that you were probably thinking that as well, James, when, when we were watching in the first half. Or this, this is probably not going to be great in the change rooms at, at half time. But she said, no, actually, he was really, really calm. And he was like, you know, you know, what can we do better? And I think this is something throughout the tournament England are going to have to get better at doing, figuring out how to win against a team that you're not familiar with. Yeah, I was impressed with how calm the whole team stayed because you could easily panic against a team like Fiji and then 
if you do that against a team who has expansive backs, you can give them a lot of the ball and suddenly they can run in three tries from 80 metres. But I think instead, England trusted and Middleton would have trusted at half-time that they are the much fitter team, the much more, although not rugby World Cup experience, they are the much more experienced team yes. and have played against a lot of good opposition and they will trust that the kind of cream will rise to the top. Um, but I was also really impressed with the set-piece uh, only losing one line out and one scrum for the whole game um, and Cockaine being very dominant from the back of those malls. Every time England got a line out near the Fijian line they were pretty much guaranteed to score because that was where they could easily have an advantage over a team which all mm. their best players tend to be their backs. They weren't brilliant in defence England. I, I think that that is something they're really going to have to watch when they go yes against France but definitely New Zealand. I think they, they got turned over in the breakdown a couple of times and I'm sure Fiji knew how intense England were going to be in the ruck and I was really impressed with the way Fiji counter-rucked. It was really impressive considering the calibre of the England team. Certainly a much improved uh, second half performance. Um, Claudia McDonald running in four tries. Um, Elise, you wanted to, to talk about Sadia Kabea, um, obviously a very young um, flanker sort of filling in for, for Marley Packer who's been injured and, and perhaps probably rested a bit for this game. Um, is that someone you think, do you think sort of Kabea can, can perhaps keep out Marley Packer from the team move, moving forward? I mean, obviously Marley Packer comes with a lot of experience and you'd imagine probably if slash when England gets to the, to the latter stages, her experience is something that that England are going to want to fall back on, but but Cabrera has really sort of put a marker down in terms of the levels of performance that she hit in that game. Mm. I don't know that she will. She's laid it down enough to start over Packer. I think that the the reasoning was given that there was a minor foot injury. I think realistically that Packer probably could have played uh, in that game, but they were choosing to save her because it is Fiji, um, and there are, I suppose more important games ahead. I think that she was really impressive and I definitely think that she it's impressive that she is we're even having this conversation where she could rival Marley Packer given how impressive Marley Packer is and how well she has performed in the past couple of years. I think they're different players. I think that the strength of Kabea is her tackling and her big carries. Packer is more into the jackling. So they are different players. I think I have a couple of stats from Kabea because obviously she was player of the match. She had 71 total carry metres and she beat five defenders. Um, so she has an eye for space and being so young, she is the second youngest player in the squad. She's only 20. She's got hopefully many World Cups ahead of her and while I don't think that she is going to edge out Packer in those games where they'll be looking for maybe just a more experienced certain pair of hands. I, I think that she is definitely, like you said, throwing her hat into the ring for being yeah, considered a, a strong starting open side. Yeah, I agree. I think she also provided probably the highlight of the game for me was her offload to Roland in the 38th minute yes. where she was, oh, was brilliant. brilliantly put through a gap through the Fijian line, um, fended off the fullback, but had enough 
composure to when she was tackled just before the line, still throw the offload to Roland, which she brilliantly picked up off her bootlaces yeah. and put the ball down for another England try. But I think what you say about Cabello and Packer being so different is probably what's a good thing for her being on the bench with Packer obviously being that dominance in the breakdown and being also a very big ball carrier. But I think Cabello offers off the bench a different option to Middleton which he might have to go to if England are struggling in different games and they need a bit of a faster player in the forwards who can hit that space. And they'll make each other better because for the longest time Marley Packer has been not the only solid choice but just out and out the best open side um, and she was always going to start. So having that competition in training no doubt is probably you know Little bit of a fire underneath Marley as well, and she'll she'll have been watching that game and she'll have been thinking, you know, when I go out there, this is what I'm going to do. Um, and so I do think they, I actually think they complement each other. Very nice. One one other um, person I think deserves a mention. Um, her a very very sort of brief cameo coming off the bench for the last um, 10 15 minutes was that of Abby Dow. Um, broke her leg and in the Six Nations and, and had a a very remarkable and um, quick turnaround to, to be able to, to even be fit and, and you know, available to be picked has, has made it in the squad and uh, came off the bench to score um, one of England's tries towards the end of that second half. I mean, how, how impressive has the recovery been and, and, and how sort of um, inspirational, I guess, really, to, to sort of see her recover in this time and come back on and, and score a winning try? Yeah, it was incredible to watch and I think that I mean, there was one shot from the front as she went over the line, and you could see like the entire England bench up on their feet. I think Sarah Hunter had gone off at that point, and they were just screaming. And I, I think that it wasn't just a try for Abby Dow; that, that was a try for the whole England setup. Um, you know, their their strength and conditioning will come into play as one of the most important parts of their game in setting them out from other teams. You know, they have the ability to last that full eighty minutes due to their conditioning. And it's just a credit to the team at England and the physios. Emily Ross in particular, I know, who worked with her um, religiously. All those hours on the bike that, she, that were put in, I'm sure, um, yeah, that try was for all of those moments and in, in those six months where she was struggling. So. Yeah, I think what's great for Dow as well is it's in kind of stark contrast to Packer, like you said earlier, Lise, about how her injury was, Packer's injury was more minor and she probably could have played that game against Fiji and been fine, but would rather save herself for the France game. But Dow, I think the whole squad and setup would have wanted to know how is that, was that broken leg recovery, is it? Because you can obviously create as much intensity as you want in training as England definitely do with Milton, but you can never really match a full game and how you'll actually your leg will be once you're tackled at 100% intensity by a player. But I think Dow proved to everyone that she is fit. And yeah. the try was very characteristic of how she used to play, so there didn't seem to be any yeah, she speed fe lost. She, she fended off quite, quite a few there. Yeah. Um, yeah, it'll be interesting as she moves into like a full half or, full, or the full 80, how it'll hold up. I mean, it is only six months since since her break. Um, but I think she's going to be fine. I, I'd really like to see her scoring tries in like open play, not just squeezing down the touchline, uh, because that's when we'll really get to see the change of pace. And if she's 
able to return back to that form that she has. Would you start her against France? No. No. I, I, I would bring her on for the second half. Should we do, do you want to do wingers? Who would you start for France on, on the wing? Down McDonald. Down McDonald. Yeah. I, th- I think Cla- Claudia McDonald, I'm sure we'll move on to talk about her four tries in a second. But she, she is, for me, right, really secure on that wing at the moment. She, she's really, really made herself known. I would go with McDonald and Kildun. I think I'd bring Dow on at half-time. We forget about Jess Breach, though. I mean, that's the incredible thing about this England squad. I mean, the, the entire squad, what, 32 players, um, in any other nation would walk on and start. In, in any other nation. It's crazy how you have just like this intense quality where it's so difficult to pick. And I think it will really just depend on the game plan, on what Simon Middleton decides he wants. Um, but I think probably getting Abidal back to full form is going to be at the forefront of his mind in terms of um, game management. It's a good problem to have. It is a very good problem to have. Yeah, certainly an embarrassment of riches um, this England team. Uh, we've sort of mentioned the France game briefly and the French getting a, a, a pretty comfortable 45 victory over South Africa and that's obviously England's um, next game in Paul C and, and, and really the, the key fixture for deciding um, what you would think is going to be the number one and the number two team um, in Pool C. Elise, um, as we said, England sort of started slow but really grew into that um, game this weekend. Um, any big changes you'd make in terms of personnel or, or, or any way that they're going to approach this game differently from a, from a tactical perspective? Obviously, France are a team that have historically been been one of one of the few able to sort of push England, you know, as close as as close as one can. Um, in, in, in their sort of historic unbeaten run but, but what, what do you think England will be looking to do differently and, and keep keep the same? Yeah, I, th- I think that France are going to be a completely different challenge to Fiji um, I, I find the way the French play at the moment and I know they did well um, against South Africa um, I find it a little bit boring uh, I, I think that that they used to play much more expansively. So I, I think it's going to be quite easy for England. In terms of personnel, I think I would probably keep it largely the same. I think I do think they're going to bring Packer on um, and keep Hunter in there um, as usual. Um, I, I want to touch on quickly Emily Scarrett because she had a 50% success rate kicking for post. Um, over the over the weekend, she's unlikely to going to be pulled off and not start against France. But James, why do you think that? I mean, she, I mean, Emily Scarrett is so impressive, and she has always performed on big occasions. What do you think went wrong for her there, and what do you think she'll be looking to improve going into the French game this weekend? I'm unsure because it is odd seeing Scarrett play any notion of a bad game at all. Mm. Especially, she's been in the setup for so long. She's played in big World Cup games before. It's, she's not one of the debutantes who kind of lacks experience on these big occasions. She should be firing all cylinders straight away. You'd expect of Scarrett, who's brilliant in every game she plays, club or country. 
but I think if it's going to happen, you'd rather it happen in the Fiji game. Yes. And I'm sure she'll be looking throughout the week at her own performance, perhaps thinking that she didn't star as she might do in most England games. And the kicking certainly wasn't good enough, but I'm sure she'll be working on that throughout the week because in those bigger games where there's crux moments and you'll be close against France, every kick kind of matters, every two points, they all add up. I think as we saw in the Scotland game. Yes. If you miss kicks, you will eventually get found out, so you really need to be on point with that. Um, but I'm sure Scarrett will come back to her best because she is one of the best players in the world and she has been for a long time for a reason. Yeah, you're right. It'll be really key that she's not missing when we get to bigger games. Uh, she just can't be doing that against New Zealand and the rest. I know that there was some talk um, on the Rugby Union weekly podcast for the BBC about match day balls and how she she might just be adjusting to uh, kind of the density of the balls. Apparently they're a little bit harder um, and she'll have only been working with them a couple of weeks and I think to probably a layman like us, you'd think, well, how does that matter? But actually, uh, you know, these such like finely tuned things that you have to work with um, and she, if she's working with something that she's not quite used to, maybe just some some teething pains but well you mentioned um bigger tests to come and, and, and ultimately probably um england's biggest test is probably going to come in the form of of hosts uh, new zealand and, and we'll probably quickly touch on their opening game uh, against australia uh, they they did eventually run out 41 17 winners but but much like england against fiji it, it was certainly not plain sailing for the entire game. In fact, they, they found themselves 17-12 down at half-time before rallying um, in the second half. James, I'll come to you first. Um, obviously, New Zealand have, have had a bit of transition. that They've, they've, they've had some not-so-good um, good results last autumn against uh, England and France, um, but they've rallied well. They've got a new coach in Wayne Smith. Um, what did you make of this performance um, as a whole, and I guess also the, the first half, which um, obviously New Zealand will be keen to, to put behind them? Yeah, I think it was very similar to England that they just seemed to be scared a bit of the big occasion. I mean, some of their better players, Portia Woodman, Rohe Demand, the captain, both dropped balls within the first half an hour, which they would catch and normally score from nearly every game New Zealand have played recently. Um, even after such an incredible hacker in front of a sold-out Eden Park, but they just seemed to not have it in the first half an hour and they were really silenced by the Australian team when uh, Tarita put in two tries both on the right wing um, the first was just an incredible fend on Renee Holmes and she just flew into the corner and the second again stepped past Holmes and was able to overcome Woodman to score in the corner again I think New Zealand were really shell-shocked but they responded very well which again like England they would I think Smith would be calm and he would expect his players to get back to their best and really come back again um, Obviously, a lot of their highlight players are kind of on the wing. Woodman, of course, scored three, even though it wasn't their finest game. But the highlight was definitely Ruby Tui, who was incredible for the whole the whole game. She was. It seemed like she was everywhere on the pitch. Yeah. She was covering all bases, tapping everyone, running everywhere, left wing, right wing, fullback. She just seemed to be everywhere. Um, I think she was really the highlight for me. I think that all, I mean, we're fast-forwarding a little bit, but when it comes to playing England, if she does continue to move like that, if she continues to 
not play out of position, but be that you know flexible in where she can be on the pitch. But I think that's going to ruffle England because you know they they are used to winning. They are used to systematically figuring out within the first ten minutes, right? You know, this is this is how we're going to do it uh, with us with our strong set piece and all the rest of it. You know, they do have powerful wingers, and if they are moving out of position, they're going to come unstuck a little bit. And with the with the Indian Fiji game, you know, they were making those beautiful line breaks and finding those holes. And New Zealand will find those holes as well, uh, as they did in the in the last stages of the of the Australia game. I think that looking forward, because uh, Wales Wales are against New Zealand this weekend. Yeah. And I think in that first half, what Australia exposed that Wales will be really quite quite interested in in developing when they come up against them is that if you put pressure on their front five, then actually the New Zealand backline don't perform as well as they usually do. They're used to running onto that ball. They're they're used to you know having that space and using the speed to create those gaps in defence and what they were doing in the first half a lot of the time was taking the balls at a standstill or a near standstill so I think that if Wales like Australia did you know get up in get up in those front five faces and actually put that line speed put that pressure on that New Zealand are probably going to come unstuck a little bit that, yeah. that's what I'd be yeah, looking looking forward to Wales, looking at Australia's success in that first half. Like, what what can we learn from that? I also think Australia orchestrated their own demise. Yeah. When from the fifty third to the fifty fifth minute, they probably had the worst possible time they could have. Um, Mackenzie missed the penalty, which they really needed to get some points and keep the scoreboard ticking over. And then they were cruelly dealt a double yellow card when their captain Shannon Perry was simbing for a high tackle well, a high shot to the head um, and she was only saved by a low degree of force and then um, Ivanya Wong was also simbing for slapping the ball down while New Zealand were in attack so this reduced them to 13 players and then New Zealand put on two tries within 10 minutes of that happening and that really just killed the game off for Australia so I think Wales will be looking at discipline and really not giving New Zealand any chance to have extra space with those really dangerous wingers. But, so if Wales can keep it tight and keep 15 on the field, they'll have a really good chance, I reckon. Mm. What what minute did those uh, cards come in? Both 54. Both 54. Yeah, I, th- I think that there's definitely something about a little bit of panic that's set into Australia and that sets into most teams. That's where you really find out whether or not they've got the bite to push through those difficult moments because that's when the errors come when you realise that you're losing control a little bit when a team is coming back and and they'll have to be careful of that and all, all the teams will have to be careful of that especially England because they, they do need to stay calm and controlled in those first 20 minutes there are a lot of drop balls for England a lot of drop balls for New Zealand I think all of these teams are going to have to you know, get under control and realise, especially New Zealand and England, who usually run over most teams, right, we're going to actually come up against challenges where we are going to be behind, or you know, they are going to we're going to be against opposition that does put on like, a really good contest that maybe we weren't expecting, and that that's when our team is made, and that's when we can show how good we are, 
and keep control, keep those penalties to a minimum, keep those cards to a minimum. And that, that ultimately will be who wins the World Cup in the end, I think. Whoever can control that the most. Yeah, it, it, it sure does promise to be um, interesting as we get latter into this tournament. Um, should also mention Wales picking up a good win, 1815, uh, which we mentioned briefly. Uh, they will face New Zealand next weekend, Italy and Canada, who both picked up good first round wins, are facing off each other on the Sunday. And as we mentioned, France against England, 8 o'clock on Saturday morning. So there'll be a lot more to discuss about all of those teams uh, that perhaps we didn't mention this week and, and also um, the big teams that will be, well, that we're, that we're expecting to be in the tournament come the semi-final and the final. Um, but that's all for this week and uh, we will uh, see you next time.